Yes, David Brooks, you are the bad guys, but it's not entirely your fault. Dear Mr. Brooks, I want to start by saying this column of yours might be the best thing written in the New York Times in the past seven years. You've undoubtedly been subjected to a fair amount of abuse for it. You should probably never have written it, if the comments are any indication. But those people are in the bubble. They don't represent either the majority or the future. They think they do, but they don't. Podcast listeners looking at a picture of What If We're the Bad Guys Here by David Brooks. Your question, are we the bad guys? The answer is yes, you are the bad guys. You have systematically dehumanized half the country because they dared to want to be represented by someone you don't like. You've gone along with a warped distortion of who Donald Trump actually is, and you have perpetuated that lie to your own detriment. Oh, it's much worse than that, Mr. Brooks. Are you sitting down? This is the moment just before the aristocracy you write so eloquently about comes crashing down around you. You might say you've just spotted the iceberg on the horizon. The water is too still. The ship is moving too fast. It can't be turned around in time. The ship is made of iron, and it will sink. Like so many times before, an aristocratic minority can only stave off its ultimate collapse at the hands of a discontented majority for so long. Just look around at the abandoned mansions of the Gilded Age, a world that once was, or take a trip to France and look at the chateaus in the countryside. Or you might even look around in the American South at the plantations and high society before it was all gone with the wind. I'm not necessarily saying the red states are going to drag America back in time. That's your narrative and the false opinion of the ruling class. This is about a new America waiting to be born once the establishment elite gets out of the way. You do get points, Mr. Brooks, even if it is too little too late. You write, quote, Are Trump supporters right that the indictments are just a political witch hunt? Of course not. As a card-carrying member of my class, I still basically trust the legal system and the neutral arbiters of justice. Trump is a monster in the way we've all been saying for years and deserves to go to prison, end quote. Neutral arbiters of justice. Did you really just write that with a straight face, Mr. Brooks? Do you really believe that? Yet here we have proof enough that you can't be the good guys if you can't even see that these investigations and indictments are designed only to stop Trump. Biden has said as much. Your predecessor, who is about to launch another campaign. So how do you reassure them if that is the reason for their questioning that the former president will not return, that his political movement, which is still very strong, uh, will not oh, yeah? once again take power in the United <laughs> States? Well, um... We just have to demonstrate that he will not take power uh, by, uh, if, we, uh, if he does run, uh, making sure he, uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our Constitution, does not become the next president again. Um, you know, luckily, the uh, criminals in our society are actually just total dumbasses, and they just tell us their plans. I guess there's some cold comfort in that, silver lining. We should believe these people when they tell us who they are. No news on Joe Biden's blatant corruption with his son, potentially protecting oligarchs from sanctions, 
influence peddling and a DOJ that pivots to another Trump indictment every time there's bad news for Biden? Neutral? I don't think so. Surely you're not suggesting that because you believe Trump is a monster that he deserves to go to prison without any trial. Is that what we call innocent until proven guilty, Mr. Brooks? Or is that what we call trial by mob? Tell me, what books have you read that paint yourselves as the good guys? Trump was never revealed to be the monster you promised. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He could have, as a fascist, shot protesters on the street in the summer of 2020. Oh, wait, Biden did that when the Capitol Police shot Ashley Babbitt. He could have jailed protesters, throwing them in solitary without a trial, convicting them in the court of public opinion as white supremacists. Oh, wait, Biden did that too. Censor social media outlets. Oh, oops, Biden too. Weaponize the DOJ. Oh, darn it, Biden again. Edge us closer to nuclear war. Don't also Biden. And attempt to jail his political opponents to hold on to power for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's actually Biden. Darn it. Will the real fascist please stand up? Trump might have aspirations to be an authoritarian, but he never had institutional support. In fact, he had just the opposite. Every institution was at war with Trump every day of his presidency. I expect you're educated enough to know that fascists require an alignment of power across all corporate, cultural, and political life, kind of like the Democrats, Mr. Brooks. Are you sure you have the right fascist, or tyrant, or authoritarian, or monster? For those who now say he led an armed insurrection to overthrow the U.S. government and install a white supremacist army to kill all black and brown people, or anything related to January 6th, I'm going to call bullshit. The Trump emergency happened long before 2020, as any honest person knows. Steve Bannon accurately predicted in 2017 that the Democrats would take the House in 2018 and immediately impeach Trump. It didn't even matter what it was for. Everything our FBI and the Democrats, along with you never-Trump Republicans, did to reject the duly elected President of the United States was unprecedented and evidence of an elite ruling class that does not want to give up its power to the people. I could spend a few paragraphs on January 6th as I bore witness to a fake media narrative blooming out of events of that day, just as I could spend an equal amount of time talking about the violent protests in the summer of 2020 that the media all but ignored. But instead, let's stay focused on the task at hand. Are you the good guys or are you the bad guys? I know you are a never-Trumper who has counted on rat effers like Rick Wilson and the Lincoln Project, or the high-minded intellectuals at the Bulwark, or the pretentious ramblings of Joe Scarborough. It feels so good, doesn't it, to have the affections of high society finally, to be led into the club and on the A-list now. Yeah, I bet it does. To quote Bob Dylan, I used to be among the crowd you're in with. I've only recently got to know the conservatives such as yourself. I am a lifelong Democrat who voted for every Democrat that ever ran for president, starting in the 1980s. I was a prominent Hillary Clinton supporter. I marched, I protested, I wrote op-eds, I said me too. I supported and voted for Joe Biden. And yes, I wrote about race and gender for years on my website. Yeah, I was that guy, girl. It would take me a while to realize that you were all wrong about Trump. 
First, I had to find out after all these years that your paper of record was not telling me the truth, which I did in June of 2020 when the New York Times upended itself over the Tom Cotton essay, then threw two of its editors under the bus. New York Times opinion editor resigns after backlash over an op-ed by Senator Tom Cotton. Quote, in a note to the New York Times staff, publisher A.G. Sulzberger announced James Bennett has resigned as the newspaper's editorial page editor. The exit comes amid Bennett's decision to publish an op-ed by Republican Senator Tom Cotton, who called for military force against protesters in American cities. That moment was, for me, like the lantern dropping out of the sky in The Truman Show. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Morning, Truman! Morning, Spencer! Hey, Pluto. Oh, oh no, no! Oh, get down! He won't hurt oh. you. Get down! Yeah, I know. It's just me. Come on, Pluto! <gasps> for the first time I wasn't being told the truth. My whole world changed, but it was hard to explain it to my friends and family. I would say things to them like, I can't explain this to you because you're in the bubble, and they would look at me like I was insane. All that really meant is that they still trusted the New York Times. They still trusted you, Mr. Brooks. But little by little, people like me are escaping the bubble and discovering a whole wide world of freedom outside of it. Freedom of the mind, most especially. Imagine not having to fret every word that comes out of your mouth. Imagine people seeing each other as people and not as partisans in an imaginary war, not as white supremacists or divided by race or gender. If the Tom Cotton debacle wasn't bad enough, the time sunk itself even further into the morass when it demonized and chased out respectable COVID reporter Donald McNeil after some entitled brat tattled on him that he'd use the N-word on a field trip. Oh, he must be a racist, concluded the gaggle of gossips and pearl-clutching wokesters in the newsroom. For podcast listeners and NPR headline, two prominent New York Times journalists depart over past behavior. Are you the good guys or are you the bad guys for allowing lunatics to take over the asylum? For bringing on board uptight thought police to bully your journalists for trying to tell the truth? Most of that is not your fault. But since you stay at the paper and say nothing, you are complicit. You're building a rat ship, as Al Pacino once opined in Scent of a Woman. I'm going to recommend to the disciplinary committee that you be expelled. Mr. Sims, you are a cover-up artist, and you are a liar. But not a snitch! Excuse me? No, I don't think I will. Mr. Slade. This is such a crock of shit! Please watch your language, Mr. Slade. You are in the Baird School, not a barracks. Mr. Sims, I will give you one final opportunity to speak up. Mr. Sims doesn't want it. He doesn't need to be labeled still worthy of being a bad man. What the hell is that? What is your motto here? Boys, inform on your classmates, 
Save your hide. Anything short of that, we're gonna burn you at the stake? Well, gentlemen, when the shit hits the fan, some guys run and some guys stay. Here's Charlie facing the fire and there's George hiding in Big Daddy's pocket. And what are you doing? You're gonna reward George and destroy Charlie. Are you finished, Mr. Slade? No, I'm just getting warmed up. I don't know who went to this place. William Howard Taft, William Jennings Bride, William Tell, whoever. Their spirit is dead, if they ever had one. It's gone. You're building a rat ship here. A vessel for seagoing snitches. And if you think you're preparing these minnows for manhood, you better think again. Because I say you are killing the very spirit this institution proclaims it instills. What a sham. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? I mean, the only class in this act is sitting next to me, and I'm here to tell you, this boy's soul is intact. It's non-negotiable. You know how I know? Someone here, and I'm not gonna say who, offered to buy it. Only Charlie here wasn't selling. Sir, you're out of order. Out of order? I show you out of order. You don't know what out of order is, Mr. Trask. I'd show you, but I'm too old. I'm too tired, I'm too fucking blind. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place! Out of order, who the hell do you think you're talking to? I've been around, you know. There was a time I could see, and I have seen boys like these, younger than these, their arms torn out, their legs ripped off. But there is nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit. There is no prosthetic for that. You think you're merely sending this splendid foot soldier back home to Argonne with his tail between his legs, but I say you are executing his soul! And why? Because he's not a bad man. Bad men. You hurt this boy, you're gonna be bad bums. The lot of you. And Harry, Jimmy, Trent, wherever you are out there, you too. Stand down, Mr. Slade. I'm not finished. As I came in here, I heard those words. Cradle of leadership. Well, when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall, and it has fallen here. It has fallen. Makers of men, creators of leaders, be careful what kind of leaders you're producing here. I don't know if Charlie's silence here today is right or wrong. I'm not a judge or jury, but I can tell you this. He won't sell anybody out to buy his future. And that, my friends, is called integrity. That's called courage. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. I like to think I would have resigned in protest and in support of James Bennett, Barry Weiss, and Donald McNeil. But I know it's hard out there for a propaganda pusher. I mean, a journalist. And so I don't blame you for keeping your job and staying quiet. That intense focus on race and racism pushed and adopted by the Times has had a catastrophic effect on the news business and American culture writ large but especially so in the Trump era. 
A revolution of devout woketopians crashing up against Trump? A guy who will say anything he feels like saying? Did this to the New York Times. For podcast listeners, a montage of headlines from the New York Times. Donald Trump's bigotry. Can the right escape racism? Trump's racist. Trump's racist, statist, suburban dream. Denying racism supports it. Trump's racist tweets my growing patriotism. Donald Trump's racism, the definitive list, updated. When the president is a bigot, the poison spreads. This is the ticket to ride at the Times now, Mr. Brooks. You are trapped in a hell of your own making by now. Look at the reader's picks comments. It is hard to resist a comment that has 7,000 plus upvotes telling you to abandon your humanity and continue the ongoing dehumanization of half the country. Podcast listeners, a comment by 6 plus 4. I am sorry, but this is just excuse making. Being adamantly against a felon trying to overthrow American democracy is hardly an elite position. The necessary corollary is you have little respect for those that favor such a prospect. Neither is that an inherently elitist reaction. It used to be called civics. Hmm, okay. Why can't they or you trust the voters? Why can't you find better candidates and better policies? Why can't you allow an outsider to shake things up in a people-run government? Moreover, who gave you permission to claim this country for yourselves and decide for American voters what they should want? That is not how things are supposed to work in this country. You've all been treating Trump like an elusive mob boss who engaged in dirty dealings, drug smuggling, prostitution, bribery, and even murder, which justified taking extraordinary measures against him to put him in prison finally. But the evidence at hand does not bear this out. He's a rule breaker by nature. He always has been. He likes to upset people. He likes to antagonize and tease and sometimes bully. But we can't even get to Trump's real problems because of your tsunami of hyperbole. The so-called charges against Trump will look ridiculous in time, just like the perjury charge against Bill Clinton does. By now, you all should be sued for wasting our time and money policing a president who had the nerve to win an election and offend the ruling elite, and then had the nerve to protest the most corrupt election in my lifetime. But again, we won't go into that. These charges show pencil pusher detailing that doesn't amount to anything serious enough to meddle in yet another election, and nothing more serious than what Joe Biden is alleged to have done. No one at your paper would put together the billions sent to Ukraine with Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's payoffs, just like you'll never tell the truth about the FBI's involvement in January 6th. But sooner or later, someone will. I know you probably don't care what the majority of Republicans think of you, but still, it has to be a bit of a drag that the paper of record is now on par with MSNBC in the minds of the public, per this poll. Quote, the other outlets that have the largest chasm in trust between Democrats and Republicans, both of them trusted more by Democrats, are MSNBC and the New York Times. There is a 91-point difference between how Democrats, 54-plus, and Republicans, 37-negative, view MSNBC and an 82-point difference in how they view the New York Times, 53-plus versus negative 30. When I headed over to Trump world and watched his rallies, I did not see a racist or a bigot. I didn't see a frothing-at-the-mouth, Hitler-esque tyrant, and I couldn't lie about that anymore. 
This isn't about telling you to support Trump or that I will even vote for him. It's hard to talk about anything else because of your obsession, not ours. He has to dominate the news because it drives traffic on your site and ratings on cable news and because, God forbid, any of you will actually report on the Biden administration's obvious failings. Some people got it long before I did, like David Horowitz, a former lefty who wrote a brilliant book on the 2020 election and January 6th called Final Battle. His introduction goes like this, quote, Trump's final 17 hours of campaigning had included more than 3,000 miles of flights and motorcades, 367 minutes of rallies, and, in the words of one Wall Street Journal reporter, five awkward and hilarious stage dances to the song YMCA. A Trump rally was always an entertainment. At one point in the evening, the crowd became so ardent, as similar rallies had before, that it began to chant, We Love You, and did so over and over until Trump responded, Thank you. Don't say that. I'll start to cry, and that wouldn't be good for my image. It was an uncharacteristically emotional moment, displaying a self-awareness and even self-depreciation that went generally unacknowledged by Trump's legion of haters, end quote. The same rally was referenced by Tucker Carlson, who's now been fired by Fox News to protect the delicate ruling elites from hard truths they studiously avoid. Carlson wrote this before the 2020 election. The picture is from a town called Butler, Pennsylvania. It's 35 miles north of Pittsburgh. The president held a rally there over the weekend. Butler's like a lot of places you'll find in this country once you head inland from the coasts. It's a former industrial town. They made Pullman rail cars there for many years. But it's been losing population for decades. There's still a lot of nice people in Butler. For 60 grand, you can buy a decent house there. It's a place you might be happy in. But our professional class is not impressed by Butler. They don't consider Butler, Pennsylvania, or places like it, the future. To them, places like Butler are embarrassing relics of a past best forgotten. The men of Butler may have built this country, and they did, but they mean nothing to our leaders now. You can be certain of that because when large numbers of people in Butler started killing themselves with narcotics, no one in Washington or New York or Los Angeles said a word about it. And so it continued. There have now been so many opioid deaths in Butler that a few years ago, residents built an overdose memorial in the middle of town. MSNBC didn't cover that. So given all of that, it was interesting how the people around Butler feel about Donald Trump. Here are the pictures of the president's rally there on Saturday night. Tens of thousands of people came. So many people that the crowd obscured the horizon. It looked like a visit from the Pope. When was the last time a political speech drew that many people? Well, the media didn't ask. Instead, they attacked the rally as a super spreader event. Trump endangers thousands in Pennsylvania. Okay, we'll leave the epidemiology to CNN. But the question still hung in the air. Why did all those people come? Why? They must have known that Donald Trump is the most evil man who's ever lived. They've heard that every day for five years. They know that people who support Donald Trump are also evil. They're bigots, they're morons, they're racist cult members. They know that Americans have been fired from their jobs for supporting Donald Trump. Not to mention kicked off social media, belittled by their kids' teachers, shunned by decent society. Only losers and freaks support Donald Trump. People in Butler knew all of that. 
But on Saturday, they went to the Donald Trump rally anyway. Why exactly did they do that? We should be pondering that question deeply as we watch tomorrow's returns and as we live through the aftermath of them. Millions of Americans sincerely love Donald Trump. They love him in spite of everything they've heard. They love him often in spite of himself. They're not deluded. They know exactly who Trump is. They love him anyway. They love Donald Trump because no one else loves them. The country they built, the country their ancestors fought for over hundreds of years, has left them to die in their unfashionable little towns, mocked and despised by the sneering halfwits with finance degrees, but no actual skills, who seem to run everything all of a sudden. Whatever Donald Trump's faults, he is better than the rest of the people in charge. At least he doesn't hate them for their weakness. Donald Trump, in other words, is and has always been a living indictment of the people who run this country. That was true four years ago, when Trump came out of nowhere to win the presidency, and it's every bit as true right now. It may be even more true than it's ever been, and it will remain true, regardless of whether Donald Trump wins re-election. Trump rose because they failed. It's as simple as that. If the people in charge had done a halfway decent job with the country they inherited, if they'd cared about anything other than themselves, even for just a moment, Donald Trump would still be hosting Celebrity Apprentice. But they didn't. Instead, they were incompetent and narcissistic and cruel and relentlessly dishonest. They wrecked what they didn't build. They lied about it. They hurt anyone who told the truth about what they were doing. That's true. We watched. America is still a great country, the best in the world, but our ruling class is disgusting. A vote for Trump is a vote against them. That's what's going on in that picture. That's what's going on in this country. That was really it for me. The journalists, so many people I knew and in the highest reaches of culture and power, had the story completely wrong. They didn't know Trump at all and had no clue why so many people supported him. All they could do was spin around, wondering how anyone could like or vote for a monster like Trump. Calling them all racists led to real-world violence, as in this rarely covered event from back in 2015. George, this was one of the most violent scenes I have ever witnessed at a Trump rally. At times, it seemed like the police had no control of the situation. People were getting beat up right in front of them. And these were not clashes. These were pure attacks. Trump supporters, men, women, even the elderly, left this building last night and walked right into danger. Overnight, all-out brawls outside the Trump rally in San Jose, California. Trump supporters harassed, beaten, and bloodied by mobs of protesters. They were like spitting on me and stuff. This man says he was sucker punched, his clothes torn off his back. Like seven more people just come in and start punching me. Carl, I look pretty bad. This lone female Trump supporter tried to stand her ground. Her sign torn from her hands, her glasses ripped off, then shoved in her face. A woman wearing a Trump jersey cornered and then egged in the face. Nazis go home! Fights breaking out in the streets all over the convention. But Trump makes them feel seen in the parlance of the left. The people most of you throw away like human garbage had one guy with balls of steel taking on the entire machine. 
If you don't think most people are rooting for Trump to skate these charges, then you aren't paying attention. Oh sure, the Beckys and the Karens are waiting for their money shot, but most people can't help but root for the underdog. Sorry folks, you're going to have to confront the lies you've been selling for years because the people are way ahead of you. Lastly, you write, but there's a larger context here as a sociologist E. Digby Botsell wrote decades ago. History is a graveyard of classes which have preferred caste privileges to leadership. That is a destiny our class is now flirted with. We can condemn the Trumpian populists until the cows come home. But the real question is, when will we stop believing in ways that make Trumpism inevitable? The answer, Mr. Brooks, is never. As with most aristocracies, power must be taken from you. No, not with a violent revolution, but when the American people realize what I finally did, that they can no longer trust the media, that the media have become the bad guys. And when that happens, it's all over but the shouting. Thank you for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com. Hope you're having a great weekend. And remember, to thine own self be true. A movement like this has never happened before. It's never happened. And we have to keep it going and finish it out. From Midland to Mackinac, from Lansing to Grand Rapids. And you know where my last stop is going to be? I'm sorry to tell you that. I feel a little guilty. But Grand Rapids was where we did that final great stop. Grand Rapids. And so I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be in Grand Rapids. It's going to be my last stop. There's something nice about that. Right? Because you can believe it. So I've done 
I have five of these today, and they're all big monsters. I had five of these today, but I actually had six because yesterday in Miami, we left the stage at 1.30 in the morning. So somebody said, if you want, they said, so if you want, you could say you did six today. I think I'm going to say that. Nobody else could do six of these. You think it's easy up here? It's not easy. It's freezing up here, too. I got the wind. I, you don't have that. I have the wind. I'm freezing my ass off up here.